You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. In today's episode, we'll discuss getting your bow and arrow set up for the upcoming hunting season. Perhaps this is the year that you've decided to try your hand at doing your own bow work, or maybe you've dabbled in it in the past, or have just not been happy with something about your hunting setup in the past. This episode goes over bow setup and tuning from scratch, and after discussing the bow tune, we'll talk about arrows and tuning the arrows. Unlike bow tuning, arrow tuning has a little bit more to do with finding your most forgiving match for your overall system, and then ensuring that each arrow flies consistently with the rest. Before we dive in, we have a quick note about Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is a service which gives you deer movement prediction based on machine learning. What does that mean and how does it work? Well, in a nutshell, years worth of data, primarily from collared deer studies across the country, is fed into what's called a neural network. Essentially, it's computers that analyze the data and look for patterns. Those patterns might be increased or decreased movement based on rain, humidity, wind speed, temperatures, or a variety of other factors. Those factors might impact deer differently based on what region of the country it's taken from. And the computers don't really care why deer move more or less on certain conditions. They just recognize what happens and then apply those patterns to future outcomes for general deer movement. Spartan Forge is currently web-based, but an application is currently in the works, will be beta tested shortly, and likely will be released close to the hunting season. Use the code DIY for a discount on a Spartan Forge membership. If you listen to the episode that we did with Greg Litzinger, you'll remember that we talked about archery a bit in there. And I had mentioned that while I had my new breed BX32 kind of all set up and ready to go, I had a Matthews V3 on order and was wondering when it was going to come in. Well, literally the day after that podcast posted, that bow showed up at my door. Uh, so I got it all set up and we'll talk about kind of the steps that it took to get that bow set up. But ultimately, once I had the bow set up, I took my first shot through paper and it was a perfect bear shot bullet hole. And not only did I get a new bow, but Sam also, we took her to the archery shop and we had her try out all the kind of flagship bows that she was looking at. She tried out the Bowtech, she tried out the, the Hoyt women's bow, and she also tried out the Matthews Prima. And she ended up picking the Eva Shockey Gen 2 from Bowtech. And you could tell she just really uh, enjoyed that bow. She was super excited on the way home. 
Uh, so we'll be doing a video series on her setting that bow up. So if you guys, you know, listen to this podcast and you want a little bit more info, we'll have that posted on the YouTube channel. Probably not right when this podcast launches, but be on the lookout for that pretty soon afterwards, where we'll basically go step by step and show visually some of the things that I'll be talking about throughout this episode. Now, some of the setup things are going to be specific to certain bows. Uh, for example, some of the things that I did on my Matthews V331 setup are going to be slightly different. So whenever there are kind of both specific differences, I'll try to touch on those as best I can. First things first, though, when you get a new bow, you want to check that it's in spec. Measure the axle to axle, measure the brace height, ensure that those are within what the manufacturer recommends. If you find that your brace height is, say, way too long and your axle to axle is too short, then you might want to adjust your cables to bring that bow back into spec right away. So that would just be kind of one of those quick gut check things before you move on to any of the rest of the steps because you want to start off with that bow and spec. It's also a good idea at this point to check if your bow has timing marks in the cams to see if those cams are initially in the right positions. Some bows you'll be able to check this at rest. Other bows you really need to be checking it at full draw. So if you have access to a draw board or you have somebody who can uh, kind of watch you draw the bow back and just see when the stops are hitting the cams. If you come back to full draw and just kind of verify again if the cam system is the type of cam system where you would have string stops or limb stops that would one hit at the same time, you can just do a quick draw back and just see if those are indeed hitting at the same time. If not, you may need to adjust, add twists, you know, to one of the cables in order to make sure those cams are synchronized. And then, like I mentioned before, different bows will have kind of different steps potentially on how you originally want to set them up. For the Matthews, what I did to get that set up is I started first by tying in my knocking point. And on some bows, I actually wouldn't tie in the knocking point first. On some bows, I would actually set up the rest first. But in this case, because the way that the Matthews is set up, it's designed so that you can put that knocking point directly centered between both cams. And then you can set up the arrow and the rest to basically have that coming off at a 90 degree angle. So for that V3, I basically took a tape measure. I measured from the edge of one cam to the edge of the other cam. And then right in the center between those two locations, I took a Sharpie and made a little bit of a marker on the string serving. And then I went and tied it in my knocking point. And to do that, I basically just kind of stuck a knock right where that Sharpie marker was just to give me a reference for size to make sure I was tying my D-loop the appropriate size. And I started off by tying just like a little bit of a serving knot underneath the knock itself. And so to do that, I just take a piece of serving thread and I go ahead and just tie a series of overhand knots, four on each side, just to give a little ball of serving thread right underneath that knock. Then I'll tie in my D-loop. So by doing that, I make sure that my D-loop isn't just tied right above and below the knock. It gives me a little bit bigger D-loop to be able to find when I'm trying to stick my release in in a hunting scenario. Uh, but more so than that, it just kind of helps with allowing you to apply pressure a little bit more centered at the knock because of the a way that you apply tension basically when you have your release hand at full draw. Now, believe it or not, there is a right and a wrong way to tie your D-loop. And I can try to explain it a little bit over the podcast, but it's going to be probably best if you go ahead and look up a picture of what a proper or improper D loop looks like. The knot itself is pretty self-explanatory. There's a lot of tutorials online, but you want to tie in such a way that those knots have the D loop coming to one side of the string 
above the knock and on the other side of the string below the knock. And it matters which one is which because of the way you're going to apply torque with your release. By having those knots facing the correct directions, you ensure that you're minimizing the amount of torque that actually is applied to the string. And then the next step was to go ahead and attach the rest to the bow. And I put my bow in a vise, bolted the rest onto the bow, and I went ahead and clipped an arrow on. And what I'm looking for here is just to try and make sure that that arrow is coming off of that string at a 90 degree angle. So if I had my string perfectly vertical, which I can measure pretty easily with a bubble level in that vise, I want that arrow to be perfectly horizontal when I put a bubble level over the top. And I can just adjust that rest up and down until it is at that location and then lock down the vertical adjustment. And then for the horizontal adjustment, I just set that rest so that it's 13 sixteenths of an inch out from the flat spot on the riser. It's just kind of a good starting point all around. Most manufacturers will recommend somewhere around that, you know, 13 sixteenths, seven eighths, maybe even three quarters, somewhere in that general vicinity as a starting point. You may move it a little bit when you go and do your tuning, but that's a good general uh, place to set up. Now with some bows, I wouldn't do it in that order. I would actually put the rest on first and I would set the rest up so that the arrow was coming right through the center of the burger hole button. Some people like to have it running through the top or the bottom of the burger hole button. But again, most manufacturers as a general rule would have you use a starting point of having that arrow run right through the center of the burger hole. And once you have the rest set up vertically in that position, then you could tie on your knocking point so that your arrow was once again, horizontal as the string was vertical. In other words, basically perpendicular to the string itself. At this point, you could go ahead and shoot an arrow if you really wanted to, but it probably makes more sense to just start setting up the rest of the bow so that you can begin the tuning process. I would put the bow in a press, put the peep sight inside the string. And if you have old measurements from the last peep on your old bow, that's a good place to start it. And I might tie a couple of wraps around that peep with just a square knot or something or a constrictor knot, just to kind of hold it semi in place, knowing that I might want to adjust it up or down. And then I'll take the sight, mount it onto the bow and just go ahead and I'll draw back with an arrow. I won't shoot anything yet, but I just want to, you know, close my eyes, come back to full draw and look through that peep and then see if it needs to be adjusted up or down at all. And if you, again, you know, come back to full draw with your eyes closed and open it up, you're not really cheating yourself and you'll be able to see pretty easily once you open your eyes, if that peep actually needs to move or if it's in the right spot. So you can adjust it up or down, get it to where you like it, and then go ahead and tie that peep side in. Now, once the peep is tied in, you might notice that, you know, it could be perfectly straight or it might be twisted a little bit. At that point, I like to go ahead and shoot arrows. Doesn't matter if it's tuned at this point, just shoot some arrows and see if that string starts settling at all. If that peep starts, starts twisting a little bit one way or the other, different people will give you different recommendations on how many shots to shoot. Typically with good modern bow strings, you don't need to shoot that many shots. And if you do have a significant amount of twist, you can go ahead and just start fixing that right away. But if you have almost a perfect peep set, or maybe it's just rotate a little bit. I might shoot, you know, 20, 30 shots just to see if it moves at all. But once you have that initial round of shooting set in and you do need to make an adjustment to your peep, then once again, I would just put that bow inside the bow press and then just make an adjustment in order to kind of ensure that that peep is coming to the proper alignment. And if you have something like a nose button or anything else like that, kisser button, 
this would be the time to go ahead and tie that onto the string now. And I also like to, at this point, just again, double check that cam synchronization because I don't want to move on to the tuning process if there's something else that needs to be fixed beforehand because I'll just be chasing my tail. So once I check that cam synchronization again, both of my stops are hitting at the same time. Again, assuming you have a cam system where that's applicable, uh, then we can move on to tuning. So uh, I would go ahead and install any of the accessories that you know you're going to hunt with. If you're going to hunt with a quiver on your bow, go ahead and mount that quiver on, add in your four arrows or whatever you're going to be carrying minus the one you're going to be shooting. Add your stabilizer setup, and you can make you know minor tweaks down the road to your stabilizer setup, but you want to get it at least as close to hunting ready as possible so that you are able to tune it with all those accessories on because adding or removing accessories could actually impact your tune. There's a bunch of different ways to get the tune done. You can use paper tuning, bear shaft tuning, French tuning, walkback tuning. It's all just kind of different methods of skinning the cat. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get that power stroke pushing right behind the arrow. And I'll talk about this a little bit when I get to the arrow side of things. But at this point, all I'm looking to do is get an arrow shaft that I know is adequately stiff. So if I have a 70 pound bow at, you know, 29 inches, I'm not going to be grabbing a 400 spine arrow to do this next step. I want to make sure that it's at least adequately stiff. If it's too stiff, it's not really going to make much of a difference here. You just want to make sure that it's going to be stiff enough to allow you to verify that your power stroke is pushing right behind the arrow. And if you have your bow set in spec and you have that rest set at 13 sixteenths, arrows coming off level from the string, there's a good chance that your very first couple of shots might be bullet holes. It will depend a little bit on how exactly you're holding the bow, if you have any torque or anything like that, but you want to make sure that you're shooting good shots. I like to start off by shooting a bear shaft through paper, just because it's something that's pretty easy to do inside my garage. And the bear shaft gives me a little bit more kind of a in-depth look than shooting a flat shaft through paper would. It's going to be a little bit less forgiving. So I'll step back as far as I can in my garage, typically about you know 12 feet or so, and I'll shoot through that paper. And like I said with that Matthews, the very first shot was a bullet hole with that bear shaft. I went and shot with a fletch shaft and confirmed, and that was it. So it was you know pretty easy. Sometimes you get bows like that where it just you got everything in spec and you take a shot and it's tuned. But that's not always the case. And so to make adjustments, if it's something where it's just off a little bit, like you got a little bit of a knock left tear or knock right tear, I'll usually adjust the rest to fix that. But if you find that you need to move your rest outside of say like a 16th or, th or an eighth of an inch, then you're probably going to want to move to something that's a little bit more, I guess, cam based or bow system based. There's a few different systems out there now that we didn't always have access to in the past. For example, Elite's got the system where you can pivot the limb pockets. Uh, Gearhead, you can actually move the grip of the bow left and right. Some cam systems you'll have to shim. The Bowtech cams, for example, that deadlock system, you can take an Allen wrench, loosen it up, slide that whole cam system left and right, and then lock it back down. Matthews, you got to put it in a press and use the top hat system. So it's going to depend a little bit on what your bow setup is. But if you're getting a pretty massive tear, and especially if just a slight little bump in the rest doesn't fix it, then you're going to have to, or you're going to want to anyway, use one of those alternative methods of tuning. Uh, you know, it could be a yoke system too. You'd be adding or removing twists to your yokes to get everything to line up. Now, if you have a high or a low tear, you could either fix that by bumping the rest just up or down a little bit, 
or you can leave that rest set right in the center of the burger hole button and move your knocking point up or down, which is going to be a little bit harder, you know, depending on how tightly you have that D loop set up. But again, you just want to make sure that you're making minor adjustments to hopefully fix that. If you have to make major adjustments to where you're looking at that arrow and it just doesn't seem right, like it's just not even close to level, then there could be something else going on. You know, it could be uh, either, you know, too weak of a spine of an arrow that you're trying to tune with. It's giving you some funky results, or it could be that your cams are out of time or out of sync. So you could go ahead and check something like that if you're getting a really odd result from a vertical tear. Might also want to check for rest clearance issues. If you're shooting a fletch shaft, especially go ahead and put some foot powder or, or lipstick or something on your veins just to make sure that you're not actually hitting the rest. Cause that also can give you some kind of odd false results. And from a tuning perspective, that's one reason why I like to at least start with the bear shaft because you're not going to have to worry about those fletching contact issues. But once I get that bear shaft bullet hole, I do want to go ahead and confirm with a fletched arrow to make sure it also is getting a bullet hole because if it doesn't, then that again, this could be a symptom of a fletching contact issue. Now, if you've made it to the point where you're getting these bear shaft results that look really good or your fletch shaft results through paper that look really good, then I would say for the most part, you're, you're going to start shooting go ahead and sight in your bow and start getting your reps in. You may want to confirm before the hunting season with shooting your broadheads just to see if there's not some kind of a, a weird or different result with your broadheads. Uh, because I have seen bow systems in the past where even though I had a bear shaft tune that was looking good, the broadhead tune would be ever so slightly different. And I would have to adjust my rest uh, in order to make sure that those broadhead tipped arrows were flying off the bow perfectly straight. But a lot of bow systems, if you have the bow tuned, that's sort of tuned. And that means that a flat shaft is flying off the bow straight, a bear shaft flying off the bow straight, broadhead tipped arrows flying off the bow straight. And that's, I would say more common or more typical. Now onto the arrow side of things. For me, I have now gotten to the system where my arrows, I've done so much tinkering over the past few years, but I have a system now that I'm very happy with. It's kind of a good all around system. I'm shooting just a hair over 500 grains total weight, upper teens in terms of FOC. The setup for me is adequately fast, but it still has fairly good momentum. Again, I'm mostly shooting shorter distances. It's quite forgiving. I'm able to shoot it very well, uh, especially with this new rig that I have set up with the, the stabilizer setup. That's a little bit longer bow than what I shot last year. And I am just shooting it extremely well. So I've been really happy just over these last couple of weeks after getting the bow set up with just the amount of tight groups that I'm able to shoot at, you know, 60, 70, 80 yards, even though again, more likely than not, my shots are going to be under 40 yards and preferably under 20. Arrow tuning is kind of a hot topic and assuming you have kind of a, a general frame of what you want your arrow setup to be like, you know, do you want a super heavy, hard hitting arrow setup, you know, 650 plus grains, or do you want a blazing fast light arrow setup, or do you want just something that's kind of middle of the road and it's going to be kind of a good all around, not super heavy, but also not super light, adequate speed, not blazing fast, not crazy slow, decent pin gaps, that sort of thing. Then those are things that I would kind of say is outside the context of what arrow tuning is. It's more just kind of arrow selection. Uh, there is a pretty popular trend now where people will take different field points uh, with the 
understanding that they're going to just try different spines of arrows in different field points to see what matches or fits best with their bow. And I would sort of caution against using that because if you, if you tune the bow to the arrow, then you can make just about any arrow recipe fly with perfect bullet holes out of your bow. Again, provided that your arrow is stiff enough, I'm able to shoot arrows that are like 200 spine, 250 spine with pretty light points where the spine charts or the softwares would all say it's crazy over stiff for my setup. I'm still able to tune those and get great broadhead flight and uh, great bear shaft flight, just great tune overall. The only thing is if you're shooting a super stiff system, then you might not be as forgiving according to some of the elite archers as if you had an arrow that has effectively your optimized spine match. And that is a little bit more close to what I'm talking about when you talk about arrow tuning or dynamically spine matching to your overall system. But for just kind of setting your preferences, you can absolutely have your bow set up and say, Hey, I want to shoot my setup at 265 feet per second. And that's what I want to target. And you can shoot an arrow out of your system. You can get a speed. If you know, if this is something you're looking to do, there's something called the, uh, the constant kinetic energy assumption. And it's pretty close. What it means is that no matter what weight arrow that you shoot, your momentum is going to change, but your kinetic energy is going to be roughly the same in practice. It tends to grow a little bit, but you know, by a few percentage points, as you go heavier and heavier with the arrow weight, because your bow gets more and more efficient shooting those heavier arrows. But for the, just kind of a general rule, you can make the assumption that that kinetic energy is going to stay the same. And so what that means is if you're able to shoot a, an arrow at the shop, or if you have a chronograph at home, and you get a speed with a 400 grain arrow and you measure your kinetic energy based off of that. And it says you got, you know, 80 foot pounds of kinetic energy. You can assume that, Hey, if I shoot a 600 grain arrow, I'm also going to have that same 80 foot pounds of kinetic energy or perhaps 81, 82, and then do the math in reverse to figure out what your resultant speed would be with that arrow weight. And by doing that, you're able to get a pretty close estimate on what you want your setup to weigh. So let's say you've decided that you want to stick with that, you know, roughly 265 feet per second, plus or minus, we'll stick with that same example. And we'll just say that for instance, you know, based on the assumptions and calculations that you made, you're going to require a 525 grain arrow to do it. Well, now you can start doing the math on, you know, the, your grains per inch for your arrow, your inserts, your components, uh, vein weights, etc., in order to make that arrow weight happen. And so now let's say you've got all your components, you know, that based on the spine chart or the software, your arrow is going to be adequately stiff, meaning it's either right on, or it's maybe even a spine stiffer. I know a lot of guys that like to air one side stiffer than what the spine chart would say is optimal when they're planning on doing a hunting setup, especially shooting fixed broadheads, a little bit less flex. Uh, so it could be a little bit more repeatable in terms of fixed blade broadhead flight. But once you have your arrows picked out, you have all your components, all your accessories, you'll need to get those arrows cut to length and we'll get into how this can be part of your arrow tuning process. But for me personally, I just like to set those arrows cut to length as short as I feel comfortable with in front of the rest. Now you'll see sometimes people will talk about trimming the arrow in order to get the right tune. That's something that would be very similar to what you might see with traditional archery where it really matters how stiff dynamically that arrow is coming off the bow. 
because if that arrow is too long, it might be too weak and you're going to get a certain tear. The arrow is going to come off the bow a certain direction. Uh, whereas if you shorten that arrow up, it makes it dynamically stiffer and eventually you can get to the point where that arrow is perfectly spined. And if you cut it too short, it's going to act too stiff with a compound. Again, like we talked about earlier, you can generally tune your arrow to match the bow. So as long as your arrow is adequately stiff enough, that's not going to be too much of an issue. So trimming your arrow in order to get the right tune is something that people can do. It's, it's definitely, I wouldn't say it's wrong, but I would say it's maybe not the, the most flexible in terms of allowing you to pick exactly the arrow setup that you want to go with. It's very similar to trying to use the field point kits in order to get, you know, a perfect bullet hole out of your bow. Now, what I do think is very important is to make sure that your arrows are matched dynamically with one another with carbon arrows, the way that they're manufactured, they're not perfect all the way around the circumference of the arrow shaft. Aluminum arrows are much better in terms of their spine consistency, but with a carbon arrow, you can put those on a, a spine machine and you can rotate that arrow and the carbon arrows will have a little bit stiffer region typically, and a little bit more flexible regions. They'll have a directionality to that bend and some are better than others. You'll find some arrows where you can put them on a Ram spine tester or like I have a bear paw anal arrow analyzer. It's, it's very similar. I just am able to push down and get a spine reading on any particular plane of the shaft and I can rotate that around, get another reading, rotate it, get another reading. And you'll find some arrow shafts that are carbon where you get no variation around that entire shaft. It shows the same spine deflection across the whole thing. And that's awesome. If you can get that across the shaft, if you get a whole batch where there's very little deflection change, like let's say you have uh, 300 spine arrows that you bought and you take one shaft and you rotate it around and you're getting readings from like, you know, 297 to 299 around the entire shaft. That's pretty good. And if you're, all of your arrows are kind of in that same, like, you know, 296 to 298, um, type of a range that tends to be pretty good where you can run into issues is number one. If you have a large variance around an individual shaft where let's say you test the arrow in one plane and you're getting like a 290 and then you test it in another plane and you're getting like a 305, which would be a really extreme example where that arrow has a lot of directionality to its actual stiffness. That could cause you some issues, especially if all of your arrows have a you know, pretty large variation. The other place where it can come and give you a little bit of issues is if you have like one arrow that's very consistent in amongst itself, but it's say like a, a 299. And then you have another arrow that's like a 320 and you have another arrow that's like a 275, even though they're all supposed to be 300 spine arrows, then that can give you some issues when you try to get all of your arrows to fly exactly the same as one another. So what we refer to as like knock tuning is something that I believe is going to be the easiest method for a lot of people to go ahead and make sure that their whole set of arrows are flying exactly the same. So this happens again, once your arrows are cut to length. Once you have all your components installed, your bow is tuned. And I guess I'll take a step back. You don't have to have your bow tuned for this step. Ultimately, you just want to make sure that all your arrows are flying the exact same off of the bow. So if you have, you know, like a slight tear, as long as all your arrows are getting a slight tear, when you do this knock tuning step, like that's fine. And you just want to adjust your, your bow tune to match when it's all said and done. But it's usually easiest. I find if you're shooting a bullet hole, uh, just to make sure that all your arrows are shooting bullet holes. And that's really what knock tuning is. You're taking an arrow, you're shooting it, and 
you can do it with like a bare shaft shooting on a range. Again, any tuning method that you would like to employ works here, but I typically find it's easiest just to shoot them through paper with a bare shaft and you number all of your arrows and you just basically set a reference point that you start with that knock at and just shoot all of those arrows and look at all those holes. And if you find that like eight out of your 12 arrows are perfect bullet holes and four have slight tears and they're all good shots. If you have a bad shot, you just want to reshoot it. Then those four arrows that gave you a slightly different tear, you'll want to take those knocks and just rotate them like a quarter turn at a time and shoot them again. And what you should be able to find is that with slight rotations to those knocks, you'll be able to pull all those arrows into where they're all shooting the exact same tear. And in this case, you know, it'd be all bullet holes. Or if your bow is a little bit out of tune, maybe they're all shooting, you know, a quarter inch knock left. As long as those arrows are flying and coming off your bow exactly the same, that you just want to go ahead and make a note on those arrows, take a Sharpie and mark exactly where that knock orientation needs to be on each of those individual numbered arrow shafts. Then when you go ahead and fletch your arrows, you can fletch them so that they all have the, you know, odd vein in alignment with that particular knock tuning location. And then every time you go ahead and you snap an arrow onto your string, it's got that exact same orientation that you set up during that knock tuning process to ensure and give you the confidence that that arrow is going to come off exactly the same as all the other arrows in your quiver. And this step, especially with broadheads can be extremely important, especially if you have arrows that don't have as good of spine consistency, it makes you know truly a big difference with broadheads. Uh, so it's absolutely something I'd recommend doing. And you might find that all of your arrows shoot pretty well, maybe have, you know, arrows that were manufactured very well, have good spine tolerances. And you find that all those arrows shoot pretty close to the same tune. And you can go ahead and screw a fixed blade broadhead in to any one of your arrows and they all hit exactly the same spot. You know, that's nice when that happens, but in the case that it doesn't, you absolutely want to double check and make sure that you've gone through that process. So you don't have, you know, that one arrow that you go ahead and, and knock when you're out on a hunting trip and that one flies differently than what your bow was tuned for. And that can cause your fixed blade broadhead to, you know, veer off four inches at whatever shot distance you're shooting at. Now, things that I've tested and don't seem to matter as much would be things like aligning your broadheads to match your vein orientation. You know, a lot of people say if you have a three blade broadhead, align those broadhead blades that they align with your veins. Or similarly, if you're shooting like a four blade broadhead or a two blade with bleeders, line those up with your four fletch pattern. You know, I haven't really seen that matter all that much. Uh, what I would say is that the spine consistency and that kind of knock tuning process we just talked about, that's going to be more important. If you've done that, then typically you can have that broadhead at any orientation you want in the front of the arrow, and it's still going to fly, uh, the, you know, the same as each of your, your rest of your arrows. But if you want to be, you know, ultra consistent, then absolutely something that doesn't hurt at this point is you can go ahead and align all of your broadheads so that they're the exact same as one another. And because you've already gone through that knock tuning process, you know, the arrows dynamically are going to come off the bow exactly the same. And if you go ahead and make sure that your broadheads are all aligned exactly the same, then you know that any kind of deviations from either bow torque, or if you have any slight crosswind, all of your arrows would be impacted exactly the same. Whereas for instance, if you had, you know, a two blade broadhead with a bleeder that has you know, a big face and some of your arrows are set up so that that main blade is angled vertically or horizontally on some arrows. If you're shooting well, then it's probably not going to make much of a difference. 
but if you have, again, you know, slight issues with torque or that crosswind, then having those things all set up exactly the same absolutely is not going to hurt in my opinion, but it only seems to matter again, if you have one of those other scenarios that are at play, not just a clean shot out of the bow. One thing that a lot of people ask questions about is which direction to fletch your arrows, whether it's right helical or left helical or right offset or left offset, or if you just want to go with a straight fletch, uh, I guess I, number one, don't recommend straight fletch. Number two, I do think that if you're planning on shooting fixed blade broadheads, it does help to make it sure that your arrows are spinning toward the natural direction. Assuming that you're not shooting a, a single bevel broadhead, then you just want to go ahead and match whatever bevel the, the broadhead is, right? Right offset or right helical would go with a right bevel broadhead, for instance. If you're shooting any kind of an other, you know, normal non-single bevel broadhead, my opinion is that you want to get that arrow spinning as quickly as possible. Now, a lot of, you know, elite level target archers that are much better than me will, you know, correctly state that very, very good scores, you know, world records, tournaments, you know, have all been won with arrows that are shot with say like right offset, even though the natural rotation might've been counterclockwise out of the bow. Uh, and if you, you don't know, this is basically, if you shoot a bear shaft out of your bow, it's going to naturally want to rotate one direction or the other. And so if you notice that your arrows naturally want to spin with a bear shaft counterclockwise, then if you apply a left offset, that's continuing that same rotation. Whereas if you have a right offset, which is what most arrows from the factory are fletched at, then you have to basically reverse the flight of what your arrow naturally wants to do. And I've taken slow motion video of this and you can see that if you have a right offset, a very slight right offset, what happens is you'll shoot and your arrow will come out of the bow and it'll start to rotate a little bit counterclockwise for, you know, for several yards out of the bow and then it'll stop. And then it'll start rotating clockwise as the vein starts to take over with a field point. It starts to take over a little bit quicker with a big fixed bay broadhead. It takes significantly longer before the veins have enough of that force and energy applied to overpower that natural rotation. If you match the natural rotation, then your arrow tends to start spinning pretty quickly out of the bow. And especially if you have like a two and a half or a three degree offset or helical, to the same direction that your arrow naturally wants to spin, those arrows will start spinning basically right coming off of the bow. And you won't have that uh, little time period where the arrow is just kind of sitting there static. And if you listen to the episode I did with Andy May a while back on archery, he talked about the same thing and, and kind of the testing he had done and noticed that he saw a difference in especially crosswind scenarios about that helping him. And that's definitely something to keep in mind. Another thing to keep in mind is that, at least based on my testing, field points, mechanical broadheads, right, it doesn't seem to matter as much. And that kind of goes along with what you hear a lot of times people on the you know tournament side of things saying it probably doesn't matter as much as people like to say or think that it does. But if you're shooting a broadhead, especially a big fixed blade broadhead, especially a broadhead that has a planarity to it, like a big two blade, then, I mean, if you think about that arrow coming off the bow and taking, you know, 10, 12 yards to really start rotating all of that time, your arrow is, you know, flexing a small amount, you know, comes off the bow and it's not just perfectly straight right away. That arrow is being compressed, it has forces, it has little oscillations. And 
once you start that arrow spinning, it starts to normalize those oscillations out and, you know, it starts to recover in flight. And similarly, if you have a big broadhead out on the front and that arrow's not spinning at all and you have those little oscillations going on and let's say you have a little bit of crosswind or you torque your bow a little bit, well, all that time that that arrow is basically sitting static, all of those little factors can start to add up into a planing force that could affect that broadhead flight and cause it to shift one way or the other. But once that arrow has begun spinning fast and it's rotating well, all of those forces start to normalize out. Again, I'll have videos that I'll post on this to show kind of the differences in what I'm talking about. But what I've noticed with some of the high-speed videos that I've taken is if I have a big broadhead in the front, sometimes I'll shoot and when I would have an arrow that would just have like a, a standard, you know, boning blazer, right one degree offset factory fletch, that arrow is, is not really spinning all that much within like the first 10, 15 yards. And occasionally I'll get kind of like a knuckleball effect if I have some type of crosswind or again, if I was torquing my grip a little bit. And if I didn't go through the work to make sure that all of my arrows had those broadheads exactly aligned perfectly with one another, then I might shoot like, let's say in a crosswind, one arrow with the broadhead aligned vertically. Well, that crosswind is going to affect that broadhead a little bit more than the arrow that I would shoot if that broadhead was aligned horizontally. And so if you're able to get those things spinning pretty quickly, then the one arrow is going to react basically the same as the other arrow in a much shorter amount of time. So that's kind of a long way to explain why I would recommend if you're going to be shooting broadheads, going ahead and matching that natural rotation with your uh, fletching rotation. Uh, assuming once again, that you're shooting double bevel broadheads, you know, two, three or four blade. If you're shooting single bevels, then again, matching the rotation of the bevel is going to be pretty important. So in ideal world, if you're shooting single bevel and let's say your natural rotation is to the counterclockwise direction, it might make sense to go with a left bevel and a left helical. Um, and go ahead and ensure that you have, you know, like waxed your threads and whatnot to make sure that those threads aren't going to loosen too much when you hit the target. Because it, it did seem like when I had shot um, some of those types of systems in the past where you're rotating counterclockwise, your points could be a little bit more likely to loosen up when you hit the target. But when I'm shooting double bevel broadheads or I'm shooting field points, it's just never really much of an issue with that arrow spinning counterclockwise. But again, single bevel broadheads with a left bevel is a little bit different story potentially. So you might just want to go ahead and, and verify that. A lot of people that shoot single bevel broadheads, I believe that by the numbers, right bevel is more prevalent than left bevel is. And with the right bevel, you're going to want to make sure that that is a right offset to match that right bevel. And if you're worried about this whole, you know, getting the arrow spinning fast, if you shoot a pretty substantial helical or offset, you can still get that arrow rotating pretty quickly, especially if your broadhead doesn't have a whole ton of surface area. The last thing I'll touch on is just really kind of microscopic, you know, changes or differences, things you can play around with that could make a real difference in your overall setup, your accuracy, your consistency. But everything I've kind of touched on at this point is going to get you a long ways in terms of being set up and ready to go for the hunting season. But if you want to take it to the next level, then there are a few references to some of the things that people do in the target archery world that I'll point to, uh, to be directions you might want to look into. Uh, for one, there are sort of advanced tuning methods that some people will do 
to try and optimize their forgiveness. And we talked about getting a perfectly flying arrow shaft out of your bow. Well, as an additional step, some people do line tuning or group tuning where they'll shoot either groups or they'll shoot at a horizontal or vertical line at really long distances, whatever distance they're comfortable at. And they'll go ahead and take notes on how well they shot. And then they'll adjust their rest, very, very small increments and do the same thing over and over again. And just micro adjust those, that rest one way or the other, left and right, up and down. And then look at the data and see which exact position of that rest gave it the most forgiving group. It's not an amount of rest movement that would cause you to go from like a perfect bullet hole to like a two inch right tear. It's very small, uh, microscopic amounts of adjustment. You know, a couple clicks one way, a couple clicks the other to see what's the most forgiving. Another thing that you can look to do is adjust your point weight up or down to try and get a more optimal spine match. You know, this is something that I found out about reading uh, some of the articles by John Dudley, where he talks about adjusting your bow weight up and down by say like three pounds up, three pounds down and shooting at long range to try and figure out which uh, setting gives you the most forgiving groups at those longer distances. And you can do a similar thing just by adjusting your point weight, because again, you're adjusting how dynamically your arrow matches to your bow. So if you increase your bow poundage, you're putting more energy into that arrow. If you reduce your bow poundage, you're putting a little bit less energy into that arrow. It's going to cause less compressive forces, less flex onto that arrow shaft. And similarly, if you increase or decrease your point weight, you're doing the same thing by, you know, increasing or decreasing the amount of flex that you get as that arrow is fired off of the bow. And so you might find that there's a very optimal match that's going to give you the best groups. Uh, what I tend to find is that for me, especially when I'm shooting fixed play broadheads, erring on the stiffer side usually gives me about the, the best groups that I can ask for and trying to optimize beyond that hasn't really made much of a noticeable difference, but it also could be that I'm just not a good enough shot to be able to shoot the difference at some of those longer ranges with uh, broadheads. Uh, originally some of the articles that were written are based more on the target side of things, again, shooting with field points. Testing your fletching configurations is another thing that you can look to do that, again, could really help you to optimize your overall system, especially would be recommended if you're going to be shooting a very large broadhead or you're going to be shooting in special circumstances like you're going to be going out west and you want to know what your crosswind performance is like. You want to play around with your fletching noise. Uh, you want to be able to play around with things like the length of your fletchings, whether you're using three or four fletch, two degree offset versus three versus one, all of those types of things you can play around with and shoot within the circumstances and the context that you would be wanting to actually hunt with. And then writing down notes, you know, taking a few days to get as much data as you need to be able to make an informed decision. And the last things to play around with would be, you know, quiver on your bow or off your bow, stabilizer setups, which is, you know, another topic in and of itself, uh, that there's probably better content, uh, from some of the expert archers on exactly how you can play around with those stabilizer setups. than I could really give you to explain what each of those movements is truly trying to give you and be able to improve your pin flow pattern in context of what you're seeing and then being able to adjust your, you know, either side bar or front bar weight to try and give you a little bit better hold. But again, if you're only hunting, you know, inside of 20 yards and some of those things are, are more minor uh, in context compared to some of the other things that we talked about earlier. 
And if you are one of those 20 yards and then kind of guys, then, you know, the biggest things really are bow and spec, bow and tune, uh, perfect arrow flight coming off of the bow with your rig arrows matched dynamically to one another so that all of your broadhead tipped arrows are flying exactly the same as one another. And you verify that the fletching configuration is giving you forgiving flight in all of the various scenarios that you could expect to encounter out in the woods. So, uh, this podcast went into a lot of detail. I know some of these things might be a little bit harder to sort of grasp unless you're a really good auditory learner. If you're a visual person, you know, like I mentioned, I'll be going through some of these things in video releases on the YouTube channel that are going to be coming up pretty soon here. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.